The Gospel according to Matthew from the 18th chapter. Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not play, pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then this fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave, as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Creator, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit, the one who is present wherever you are. As we gather today, I am so excited to be here and sharing this time with you. And this story is an interesting one to start on, but it's what we have, and so here we go. I will tell you a little illustration. Some years ago, I participated in an activity with our VBS kids where I asked them to name their fears. I gave each of the kids this small handful of these um, pom-poms, bright colored little things. And then we had a big box that we set in the middle of the circle that had the word fear written on it really big. And then each kid got to name a fear. So maybe they would say, I'm afraid of the dark. And when they named their fear, anybody in the circle who maybe had that same fear got to throw one of their pom-poms into the box. So as we went along and kids named off things, all these pom-poms started getting thrown and it was actually really fun. But it was a way to name these things that hurt and scare and be able to um, throw them all in the box and then box that up, tape it closed, and just bless it with God's grace and love. It was a message, even in the midst of our fears, of God's big, big love for us. 
After doing that activity with those four groups of kids that uh, VBS day, I went back to my office. I was kind of moved by that activity, and I wrote this little poem I called The Fear Box. It goes like this. We have a fear box. In go the snakes and lizards, the spiders, mice, and great white sharks. Clowns are next. One in every group puts clowns in the box. Then we box up thunderstorms, hail, lightning, and tornadoes. The monsters under the bed. The ones in the closet, too, in the box with you. Bullies easily found a place in that box. Loneliness is there. Tears are there. Darkness is there. Then those things that no kid should ever have to think about boxing up. Guns and violence and school shootings, cancer and car accidents, the death of loved ones, they are all in this fear box of ours. The box is proverbial. The prayer is real. God, give me strength to face my fears. Now, that was 10 years ago or more. And I don't have to tell you that in this year of 2020, we could keep adding to that list of things we want to box up and put away. A pandemic, a global climate change, systemic racism, civil unrest, a failing economy, and then daily exposure to this horrifically cruel and divisive political rhetoric. Here at Lake Nokomis Lutheran, we might also add to that list of fears some really specific things, a vast amount of change that is happening or being talked about here. A new pastor, hopefully I'm not that fearful for you. This proposed three church partnership, the desire we all have to share the gospel with the world, but the reality that so many more people are now just openly rejecting it and the church. It's all so very overwhelming. And you know it's true that the only certainty for us at this moment seems to be more uncertainty. Over these next several weeks, we're going to be spending time talking about these fears of ours. But we'll also be talking about our faith and God's response to us in the midst of our fears of grace and hope and deep love. We'll be looking at these stories from the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus faces difficult questions, systemic injustices, fierce critics, and as we know the story so well, he also will face this successful attempt on his life. As we hear these stories, we will look and we will consider Jesus' own wisdom, Jesus' actions, Jesus' promises to the people in the midst of these fears. We'll consider together the current moments in the life of our church and our city and our nation and our world, and we will name the fear, and we will face it head on with the word of God to find courage and hope as we move forward together in faith. Now, 
Let me connect all of that to the very specific story we have heard for today from Matthew chapter 18 about this incalculable forgiveness of our God. But here's the connection. Peter, who asked the question, is afraid. He's fearful. You see, he has been going along his whole life understanding his relationship with God in this very specific way. His understanding is that if he does all these things right, if he follows the law that's written in the Torah, he will be in good standing with his God. And so he wants to know what it is that he has to do to keep that relationship right. I mean, he's been hearing Jesus talk about our relationships with neighbors, and so he's checking in. Here's what I know in the Torah, and I want to know if that's still the truth. And so Peter asked this question, how often or how many times should I forgive? And then Peter throws out what he thinks to be a very generous suggestion. Seven times? I mean, think about it. Seven times seems generous. Think of someone who's done you wrong or someone that you've had to ask for forgiveness from. By the time you get to the seventh ask, it seems like, okay, I've asked and I've asked and I've asked. It seems very generous. But Jesus says no. Not seven times, Jesus says, but I tell you 77 times. Jesus is telling Peter and you and me that we can't just check forgiveness off our list. I did that, I'm done with it. We're not really ever going to reach a number where we're done with it. And for Peter, this changes his whole understanding about his relationship with God, and it shakes the very foundations of his faith, and it is scary. For us, it means that as we practice gracious forgiveness, the one, the, as we hear about God lavishly pouring this gift of forgiveness out upon us, it is the same forgiveness that we are expected to extend to those whose actions have hurt us, to those whose ideas make our very blood boil, to those whose beliefs stand out in stark contrast to our own. That kind of graciousness is so wonderful to receive. We have received it already today in our confession and forgiveness but it can paralyze and it can invoke fear in us when we are called upon to reciprocate so generously. Now, we could spend a whole season of sermons on the understanding of forgiveness. The parable that Jesus follows up this teaching with these, uh, the Lord and the servants opens up so many avenues to us about how we might respond to our neighbor in need, how we might recognize our own sin or our own place in harmful behavior. It opens up this question of what we do with debts that are so large that human forgiveness isn't even possible. And I would love to be in conversation with you about all of that. But for today, I wanna to keep it simple. And for the next few weeks, as we think about what it means to live unafraid, I wanna focus on this. Jesus' presence in our lives us calling ourselves followers of Jesus calls us to live in a brand new way. And that can be scary. 
Jesus asks us to consider this new way of being in relationship with each other, of being in relationship with those who have hurt or betrayed or let us down. Jesus calls us to forgive and to admit our need for forgiveness, and admitting that we need forgiveness can be scary. Jesus calls us to live a life of grace on behalf of our neighbor. And I don't know about you, but that can be scary. Peter certainly wasn't clamoring to sign up for that. And we live in this culture immersed in messages that tell us to take care of our own selves, our own corner of the world, protect what we have. Forget about generous living toward neighbor. But this new way that Jesus proposes is a way of sacrifice. It is a way of forgiveness and generosity, a love of neighbor that is equal to oneself, celebrating the accomplishments of others as much as we celebrate our own. There is an inherent fear in what fully taking on that identity as a follower of Jesus would really demand of us. I will tell you, I'm excited to be here in ministry and share in this work we are doing together as Lake Nokomis Lutheran Church. I'm inspired by the rich history of service and love that has been the ministry of this place. I find great hope and spirit moving in the ways the leaders of this congregation are planning for the future. I feel the Spirit's call on my own life to be here in this time and in this place in the world. But here's the thing. At some point in my ministry here, I'm probably going to let you down. I'm probably going to disappoint you or say something that you wish I hadn't. And you could pack up your things and leave or ask me to leave. But you know, you might also let me down as well. You might disappoint me and I might have an idea that I should get out of here or you should get out of here. But as people who are followers of Jesus, people who interact in this community named after our Jesus, Christian community, we are called to live in a different way. I mean, it can be scary and uncomfortable to face our disappointments head on, but we are called to stay to listen, to forgive, to assume positive intentions from our neighbors, to name injustice and suffering, to have compassion for those who are hurt or disappointed. In short, we are called to immerse ourselves and others in this gift of grace. If you left or I left at the first hint of disappointment, unwilling to face our fears about what had happened, we would miss out on this amazing gift of God's grace that makes and creates our very identity as followers of Jesus. Now, if we were worshiping together in person, I would probably ask you to nod your head and agree that this is how we are going to live and how we are going to be. But maybe you can do that together with the people in your home that you are worshiping with. Yes, this is our intention to live in faith community that is giving and forgiving. 
Now we are bound to get this wrong a time or two and we are going to be needed to be picked up again. But I am thankful for the gift of God's grace that has picked me and picked you up countless times throughout our lives. And this gift of grace that proclaims to us as individuals and in a faith community an immeasurable and abundant kind of grace and an unconditional and inclusive kind of love. As I think about fear and faith, I will tell you this very small story that several years ago, a confirmation student, an eighth grader, came up to me right after confirmation class and she had a question. She said, Pastor Sarah, I know that the Bible tells us, do not be afraid. And she kind of continued with a hesitant and shaky voice and she said, but what if I am afraid? This young woman had a lot going on in her life and I knew that and so I knew her question had an absolutely deeper meaning behind it. What she was really asking me is a question I think we all ask. If the Bible says, don't be afraid, but I am, what's wrong with my faith? We, we had a good conversation, she and I, about how the Bible repeats over and over and over again, do not be afraid, so many times. And the Bible does that not to point out to us our lack of faith, but to show us the faithfulness of our God, to remind us that God knows us so deeply, God knows our world so deeply, God knows we are and we will be afraid. But to give us this promise that we need not be, that we are not alone, that we have God's presence with us, now that conversation gave me a lot to think about. Her, her uh, question gave me a brand new way to think about God. That this do not be afraid is not an evaluation of the strength of my faith or yours, but actually an invitation to trust God more deeply in our moments of fear and uncertainty. So I hope you have heard the refrain of that good news today. We opened our worship with words of forgiveness we heard clearly the grace of God in the psalm and again in Matthew 18. And we will hear it again as we turn to this gift of Holy Communion when Jesus raises up the cup and says, this is the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. We are given this promise over and over again. Do not be afraid not to manipulate out of us a false or insincere confession of faith. It's less of a command and more of a promise. So I pray that you hear that promise today. You are not alone. You are so deeply loved. God's mercy is offered to you and it is beyond imagination in its goodness. As you hear that promise today and tomorrow and in the week ahead, then may you always respond, thanks be to God. Amen.